Well, thanks so much, Caitlin. Thanks to everyone that's been involved uh, so far. And let me add my welcome to Richmond this morning. Lovely to have you here. Great to have Josh and Tamara back with us. And I think, Caitlin, you sold that uh, quiz night a bit short. That we were second in Australia. Now, I wasn't part of that, but that, that seems significant, doesn't it? Second in Australia. I think only pipped by Knightsbridge, another Adelaide-based Baptist church. But anyway, um, fantastic that um, we're able to be part of that. And uh, yeah, we're going to continue. We're going to finish, as Caitlin said, our, our series in Philippians today. I think when I was up here a few weeks ago, I might have mentioned that Philippians to me feels like you know, the mixtape of some of the, the, the greatest tracks in the New Testament. Uh, so it feels like we're on the final track of this morning in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, but again, I think there's some really important things for us to, to grapple with as a community, particularly in the cultural moment in which we live, as we think about uh, these last few verses in Philippians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles there or your Bible app or whatever, let's open to Philippians 4 and let's read this passage together as we, as we begin this morning and then we'll dig into it. So we're going to look at Philippians 4 and we're going to start at verse 10. Starting at verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through King Jesus, who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, they were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in King Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in King Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of King Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. So I want to take you back 30 years uh, this morning. 30 years ago, uh, back when, uh, actually I should say approximately 10 knee surgeries ago. That's how sometimes I measure time as well. So 30 years ago and approximately 10 knee surgeries ago, when I was once an aspiring Christian athlete who still harboured aspirations of forging out a career as a professional footballer, I unashamedly had a couple of favourite Bible verses. Uh, One of those Bible verses came from Isaiah 40. Have a listen to this. If you're an aspiring athlete, listen. Isaiah 40 says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. How good does that sound? 
when everyone else is getting tired and cramping up in the last quarter, if I hope in the Lord, I will outsoar, outrun and outlast them all. How good is that? And of course, another one of my favourites was Philippians 4.13, a verse that we just read out. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, it's a bit embarrassing, but at the time, I took that to mean, I interpreted that to mean that I could literally go out there and do all things. I could accomplish impossible goals. I could run out there and get 50 possessions and kick 10 goals and take mark of the year all in the same game because it's Christ who gives me strength. Amen? Don't say I'm into that. Because 30 years down the track, that just feels a little bit ridiculous. And experience tells me that despite my resolute faith, I was just as exhausted as everyone else in the last quarter. In fact, I, uh, I still vividly remember a game I was playing up in Darwin uh, one day. Admittedly, it was my second game for the day and it was hot in Darwin. This is an excuse. But there I was in Darwin. I kicked the ball into the forward line and my hamstrings and my calves in both legs cramped at the same time. It was so bad I had to get carried off the field. Um, it was just a bit embarrassing. But where was Isaiah 40 then? Uh, when my hamstrings are cramping up. And no matter how many times I quoted Philippians 4.13, I never even got close to taking mark of the year. Disappointing, I know. But it didn't seem to work. Because maybe, just maybe, these verses were, were meant for more than me. And maybe they point beyond just accomplishing impossible goals on the sports field. And yet... And yet, I think as we look at this final passage in Philippians in its proper context, there are some clues here about doing something and perhaps being something that seems impossible in our culture, and that is to be content. I don't think I need to convince anyone as we begin this morning that we live in a culture that struggles with the concept of enough. You know, we've been so conditioned by our culture to feel like we never have enough. We never have enough money or enough things or enough holidays or enough interesting experiences or enough, you fill in the blanks. We never seem to have enough. And I'm not sure about you, but I have this visceral reaction every time I have to visit a shopping center. Not that I would do that by choice, but every time I've got to go to a shopping center, I have this reaction. I virtually never think about clothes shopping. You might kind of pick that up, but I never think about clothes shopping at all until I'm surrounded by all the things that I don't have. Do you ever have that experience? I walk through these places surrounded by all this stuff and suddenly I'm overwhelmed by this feeling that I don't have anywhere near enough and that somehow I'm missing out if I don't have that new pair of sneakers or that new whatever it may be. Our culture conditions us to feel like we never have enough. And in a culture that seems so preoccupied by the idea that fulfilment is found in consuming more and more things, where it seems like many people are on a futile and never-ending search for the next thing that will make them happy, that will make them feel fulfilled, in that kind of culture, discovering a sense of contentment almost seems impossible. It almost seems out of reach. And at the very least, it's a profoundly countercultural pursuit. And yet what we want to grapple with this morning is that as kingdom people, trying to live kingdom life in relationship with King Jesus, that's the kind of life that we're called to. 
a life of contentment in a culture that's on a never-ending quest for the next thing. And here's the paradox, in case you haven't picked this up already. Here's the paradox of our cultural moment, that we have never had so much. We've never had access to so many things. We've never had so many options, never had so much access to education and and travel and technology. We've never experienced so much freedom than we do right now. And yet, we've perhaps never been so restless as a culture. We've never been so discontent and and unsettled and anxious and unhappy. Which points to this idea that this never-ending quest for the next thing to make us happy isn't leading us to the flourishing life that we so desperately yearn for. We live in a paradox in our culture. So the challenge for us as kingdom people is to consider how should life with King Jesus be different? How can we be profoundly countercultural when it comes to the idea of contentment? And I think the first thing that our passage this morning, this last part of Philippians points to, is that in the economy of God's kingdom, Jesus is enough, no matter what. Jesus is enough, no matter what. Have a listen again to the the words of Paul here as he considers his own circumstance. He says this, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him, through King Jesus, who gives me strength. As I read that again this week, it it, it seemingly is the ultimate expression of what this whole series has been about, no matter what. No matter whether I have lots or little, no matter whether I am hungry or full to the brim, I've learned to be content because King Jesus is enough. He is enough. And there's an echo here, I think, of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where Paul is kind of, he's lamenting this this mysterious thorn in the flesh that he has, that he so wants to get rid of. Uh, And as he prays, the message from God is, my grace is sufficient for you. It is enough, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And as I read those verses again this week, I was was kind of reminded of a song that we used to sing uh, in church a few years ago. It doesn't do the round so much anymore, but it was called Christ is Enough. Uh, The words, if you remember, go something like this. Christ is my reward and all of my devotion. Now there's nothing in this world that could ever satisfy. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need is in you. Everything I need. I've got to tell you, I remember at times a few years ago struggling to sing those words with any great sense of integrity. Could I honestly say that I didn't need anything else except Jesus? Because there was a whole bunch of things like I felt like I, I needed. Like I need my friends and family. I, I needed food and rest. I had hopes and dreams just like everyone else. There were things that I wanted to achieve, plans for myself and my family, things that I wanted to accomplish at work, good things. Could I honestly say that I didn't need anything else except Jesus? 
Christ is enough. What did that even mean? I read about, uh, just yesterday actually, I read about this group of Carthusian monks uh, who are completely cut off from everyone, even their families. They're only able to see their families twice a year. They also commit themselves to a vow of silence, which means they're only able to, if I get this right, they're only able to have a brief conversation once a week. The rest of the time, it's only prayer. Families twice a year, one brief conversation a week. That's it. Is that what it means? To be completely cut off from all of our earthly pleasures that we might embrace this idea that it just Jesus is enough. Well, no judgments on them. But fortunately, I don't think that's the life that all of us are called to. Embracing the reality that King Jesus is enough doesn't mean that we need to leave behind all of our hopes and dreams and all of our earthly pleasures for a life of separation and solitude. But here's the challenge. Kingdom living, finding, discovering a true life of contentment does require a recognition of the sufficiency of Jesus. In amongst all of those things, the sufficiency of Jesus. Now we're going to do communion in a little bit of time. One of the things that communion recognizes is the sufficiency of the work of Jesus on the cross. Because contentment is found in recognizing that there's nothing else that we need to do. There's nothing else that we need to prove before God. We can't impress our way into the family of God. It is a gift of God's grace. His work on the cross is enough. His work on the cross means that we are radically forgiven. We are unconditionally loved no matter what. And there's contentment in that, isn't there? That we don't have to keep proving ourselves over and over and over again because Jesus loves us unconditionally. He's died for us. He's risen again for us to offer us life. Jesus is enough when it comes to his work on the cross. We can also recognize the sufficiency of the strength that Jesus provides. Because contentment is found when we discover that Jesus is present with us in any and every circumstance that we go through. We never have to face life on our own. Because Jesus has waded into the mess of our world and he's waded into the mess of our lives. And his strength, according to scripture, his strength and his presence is with us in special ways when we are experiencing the difficult parts of life. We never have to do it on our own. He is with us. He is present with us no matter what. And we need to recognize the sufficiency of the life that he offers. In a culture which tells us that life is found in so many different things, Jesus says that life, he has come to bring us life and life to the full, life abundantly. And so contentment is found not as we kind of relentlessly pursue our desires apart from God, but as we align our hopes and dreams and desires with God's kingdom. As we discover our purpose in participating in his restorative mission in the world, that that's what leads to life. 
And that means embracing the reality that even if life doesn't pan out the way that we expect it to, even if it falls apart at the seams, even if we don't get everything that we want, no matter what, a life that is lived beyond ourselves, a life that is lived for God and for others always leads to life. Always. I love this quote from Erwin McManus. I've used this before, but I'll keep using it because I love the idea, the, 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 the imagination it gives us of life. In a culture where we are convinced all the time that the next thing will make us happy, the next thing will make us fulfilled, if we could just do that for ourselves, then we'll be okay. Listen to what he says about life. He says, you will never become less when you're committed to making others more. The happy are those who give their lives away. And when they give their lives away, they find life to the fullest. That's God's design for life. The sufficiency of Jesus' kingdom, that we might find our lives as we live beyond ourselves, as we give our lives away for the sake of others and for the sake of God's kingdom. That's where we find life and life to the full. That's where we find true contentment. And way before Owen McManus, Augustine said this about 1,600 years ago. He says, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I would think our world has changed pretty radically in that time, in 1,600 years, but that reality hasn't. In a culture of restlessness and discontent, may we discover the rest and contentment that can only come through Jesus. Because in the eyes of our culture, we will never be enough. We will never do enough. We will never have enough. But as kingdom people, we can declare that King Jesus is enough. In the economy of God's kingdom, Jesus is enough no matter what. But before we leave Philippians, I think there's something else in here as well. Something else that relates to contentment, but I think is also a challenge for us as community. And I think this last part of Philippians also points to the fact that in the economy of God's kingdom, community, family, ensures that everyone else has enough, no matter what. As we read through those verses um, earlier on, hopefully you picked up this concern that the church at Philippi had for Paul's needs and their commitment to providing for him. Verse 10 says that Paul rejoiced greatly that at last they had renewed their concern for him. Verse 14, it was good to share in my troubles. Verse 16, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Verse 18, I've received full payment and have more than enough. And we know from earlier on in the series, don't we, where's Paul? He's in house arrest. He's completely reliant on others to supply his needs. But what this reminds us is that Paul, stuck there in house arrest, is not out of sight, out of mind. He has this community of believers, this family in Philippi who are completely committed to care for him. They've committed themselves to provide for him to the point where Paul can say of himself, I've got more than enough. 
You might even read this. I, I had this moment during the week. You might even read this and, and kind of say, well, it was easy for Paul to say that he's learned the secret of contentment uh, when this church community is just giving him everything that he needs, right? Of course he can say he's content. But the contentment that comes from knowing that Jesus is enough and relying on the kindness of others to supply our needs are not supposed to be mutually exclusive because that's exactly the way God has designed the world to be. We're not designed to do life on our own. We're not designed to live life for ourselves. God has gifted us community. He's invited us into family. I was reminded of um, a psychologist, Yuri Broffenbrenner. Great name, isn't it? Yuri Broffenbrenner. He said this about family. Family is a group which possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. I love that. An irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. It's a commitment to look after each other no matter what. I just wonder as we finish up this series in Philippians, what that might mean for us as church family. Do we have an irrational commitment to each other, the well-being of us as a family, no matter what? Acknowledging that we come together this morning, we come together as community all the time from different backgrounds with a whole set of different needs. And you might be here this morning and be someone that is actually in need. You don't have to do life on your own. There are people around that want to help. That's what it means to be part of family. And likewise, you might be here this morning as someone that has more than enough. Kingdom living means that God invites us to share that with those around us. What might it look like for you to explore how you might share your life with others so that they might have enough? And we're going to come to share in uh, communion together now. And I love the fact that we're finishing with communion this morning and at the end of this series because this is such a tangible reminder of the very things that I've been trying to communicate this morning. We celebrate by taking the bread, Jesus' body that was broken for us. Drinking the wine together, we recognize Jesus' blood. This is a tangible demonstration that Jesus' work on the cross is enough. We come to receive these elements as a gift of God's grace, knowing that there's nothing else that we need to do. Jesus has accomplished it all on the cross, overcoming our sin and our failure, our guilt and our shame, and rising again to offer us new life with him as kingdom people in the world. Jesus is enough. We do this together, knowing and recognizing that Jesus didn't consider equality with God as something to be taken advantage of, but made himself nothing. And was obedient even to death on a cross, as we heard about in Philippians 2. Jesus waded into our mess with us. He is present with us in everything that we go through. And the best thing is, we do this together as a community. 
It's a, a little meal that not only points to what Jesus has done, but points to the future because one day as God's kingdom people, we will celebrate a feast together with him. It's a little taste, a little glimpse of what God's future looks like. And we do it together as community. This is not an individual activity, although we do have to eat and drink ourselves. Uh, but it's something that we do together, collectively, as family. Because that's how God has drawn us together. This is what brings us together. So I just want to invite those that are going to help out this morning to come. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward and take that little bit of bread, take a little cup of juice. As you go back to your seat, I just want you to, to eat that bread and to reflect again on who King Jesus is, all the things that we've been reminded of over the last few weeks. And recognize this morning that Jesus is enough. And then, as per our tradition, we're going to hold that little cup. And when the time comes, we're going to drink together as a community to recognize our unity and to celebrate how God has brought us together. We're going to recognize the mission that he's drawn us into and the beautiful future that he has in store. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we thank you for all that we've been reminded of over these few weeks in Philippians. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are our king and that you've invited us to be part of your kingdom. And we recognize this morning as we come to take the bread and, and drink the cup that that invitation came at an incredible sacrifice. So we recognize this morning, we thank you for the gift of your grace, the gift of your life, that, that we can be part of your family, that we can contribute to your kingdom because of your work on the cross. And we just thank you that you've drawn us into a community, that we can be together, we can do life together, we can provide for each other just the way that you've designed life to be. We thank you that you're here with us this morning. We thank you that you speak to us. And we commit all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me invite you to come forward either side, take the bread, take the juice, and we'll pray together in a moment. King Jesus, we pray that you might continue to inspire and empower us to be your people. As we live lives that reflect who you are, as we are your image and likeness for our worlds, may we live our lives in such a way that those around us, that the world around us might see a different way of life, a different way of being human, a different way of relating to you. May that start within our community here. May that resonate from us into our community, into our families and into our workplaces, into our schools and universities and sports clubs and wherever we find ourselves. And we thank you that we don't do that alone, that you gift your spirit to us to fill us to empower us, to inspire us, to be the kind of people, the kind of community that you've called us to. 
So we pray that we might go out from this place this morning, filled with your spirit, inspired by you, Jesus, um, to live as your kingdom people in the world. We thank you and we commit all of that to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.